Good morning and welcome to Eye of the Faces episode 18. It's another guest episode, one of our favourites, I'm sure you'll agree. This is Sir Buckley coming to you from still sunny, still warm England. Yes, the rumours are true, we are in summer finally. Like I say, today is a guest episode which is always fantastic to get these people on and talk about everything about them basically and today certainly no exception really fun episode really fun recording uh, very much looking forward to getting to that in a moment before we get there just a hello and thank you how are you are you well glad to hear it as always we want to thank everyone for the listens and the comments and the shares and retweets and whatever else you're doing carrier pigeon just shouting it from rooftops we appreciate it all, everything we get here at the other faces, and uh, hopefully you continue to enjoy what I and sometimes Lady Buckley are putting out. She's quite lazy, really. Mainly it's me. If anyone not in the loop hasn't been here for a while, we've still got our weekly, or normally weekly, uh, Valar Revidus projects, the Scraps and Scrolls, we call them episodes, done in conjunction with History of Westeros's reread project. They're really fun, a lot of work, true seven chapters a week but uh, really fun and proven very popular so we're going to keep going with those as long as there's some extra notes to get through hope you enjoy them on slightly bigger scale bigger news patron patreon whatever you call it we're on it so if you want to be a part of that hey go for it <laughs> we certainly won't tell you no you can come and join us now we've got five of these tier thingies and to be fair, originally quite a hard choice. We didn't really know whether we were going to go ahead of it. I had my reservations, whether it fit in line with what this kind of podcast is all about. But I uh, put a poll out on Twitter. People seem to be in favour of it. Had some lovely messages from uh, fans of the podcast and even some former guests kind of persuading me that this was the way to go and, you know, to, to serve the fandom better then the podcast needs to improve and this is one of the ways we can do that. So hopefully that will all work out and we can yeah put out a better show. You know, we can get a, a, her own mic for Lady Buckley and we can really learn how to use software properly because, you know, I'm just kind of groping around in the darkness, as I'm sure you can tell. But hopefully the important thing is we keep improving. So before we get to today's lovely guest, let's just have a look at our patron and what's on offer just in case you're not aware i did mention this last week on uh, valor Aridis part five i think it was episode 17 but this time i'm actually going to give you some details on what you can get depending on what tier you are so like i said last time our tiers they're all based on trees not the red and white of weirwood trees because that would be a bit creepy but normal green trees that we all like so our first tier is our grassy roots people and let me say already a hello and thank you honestly from the bottom of my heart from those people who signed up to the grassy roots level it's really very much appreciated and yeah we just hope that we can do right by you and make you feel like it's, it's a worth worthy investment definitely let us know if we're not because we'll do everything to um get to that point but anyway yes our tears so grassy roots people they get a, a general non-personalized shout out on every episode all the shows like we just had uh, but also up on my website, thegrindstone.co.uk, we're going to have a wall. I'm going to put that up later, kind of a, a wall of thanks. So you actually get your name there and, you know, a little message as well. And also they get one day early access to Valar Revealist episodes. So lucky you. Moving on is our Lime Leaves, which I particularly like. Lime Leaves uh, tier, which is $5 or more per month. Um, and I should mention, every time we go up a tier, you get whatever 
that tier before you got. So, for instance, our lime leaves get all the benefits that a, a, a grassy root would, of course. But specifically, lime leaves, they're the first tier where you get access to Patreon-only episodes. We're going to have a few of those. The first one coming up is Lady Buckley's long-awaited return, where we are going to look at and analyse the big weddings of A Song of Ice and Fire in honour of our own wedding anniversary, which was last Sunday. So that's a nice tie-in, isn't it? Always thinking, I am, see? But we're also going to have some extra guests come on for kind of special feature episodes for certain subjects, some return guests. I say no names for now, but hint, hint, hint. I'm sure you'll be interested in those. So that'll be coming soon, and that is only accessible to patron people of Lime Leaves and above. So looking forward to that. Also, they get access to guest episodes like this one, two to three days early. In this case, it's free. You're going to get it today. Today is Monday. Everyone else is coming out for Thursday. So mm-hmm, there you go. Moving on is our jade branches. Jade is a kind of green. I checked. I double checked. It's not. I thought it was kind of blue. But no, I am right. It's kind of green. Jade branches. They get access to those patron only episodes, obviously, but two or three days early. So a bit earlier than the, the lime leaf people. And also personalised shout-outs on every other Valor Redis episode, because they're weekly, every guest episode, and all Patreon-only episodes. So, for instance, let me say hello and thank you to our first Jade Brands, Sir Jancy. I think it's Sir Jancy. It might be Sir Yancy. Could be. But honestly, thank you so much. We're really appreciative of you uh, breaking the mould and being our first Jade Branch. Queen of the Jade Branches from now on. Very, very thankful. And again, like we said, so Yancey gets all the benefits of a lime leaf or a grassy root wood as well. Our green trunks, not swimming shorts, I mean like the trunk of a tree. $12 or more per month. They get personalised showers on every episode, every single episode. Also, you can give the option to submit a question to me for the Valo Aridus and uh, Patreon-only episodes, which can be about the podcast, they can be about the fandom, they can be about A Song of Ice and Fire itself. Anything fairly nerdy. I like most things. Don't ask me about Merlin, because it will take the whole... Uh, to take the whole episode up and I won't get on to anything else. And you may not want to do that, that's absolutely fine, but the option is there. Also, at this level, you get to be involved in you know the community polls and choosing what subjects we take for patron-only episodes, etc., etc. That'll all come. We're kind of finding our feet a little bit with the patron website and how you do everything. You know, We're going to put our goals up ne- later this week and stuff like that, but we'll get there. It's always a slow process. Uh, finally... My favourite one, Emerald Trees. And Emerald, I just makes me think of Chaos Emeralds on Sonic, but still. Emerald Trees, $18 or more per month. And that will get you early access to all kinds of episodes. Uh, four days early for patron only. Three days early for guest episodes. Personalised thanks on every episode. And we thought, because this is a fandom-based podcast and we want to give uh, you know, shout-outs and promote people as much as possible, for these um, Emerald Trees, if you have a blog or a website or a podcast, even if it's not about A Song of Ice and Fire, but especially if it is, then we will give a shout-out during the episode. And maybe you don't have one, but you have a friend or does, or you're just a particular fan of uh, another blog or podcast. We try to give shout-outs as much as possible anyway, but we definitely will in this case. And also there will be access to quarterly Google Hangouts with myself, Lady Buckley and other patrons of this level, if you so choose. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't like me that much, but you just don't know what to do with your money. I don't know. I'm not here to judge. And of course, all of the above. So that's our tiers, ladies and gents. If you 
uh, feel so inclined, then please kind of have a look. Um, maybe you fancy it, maybe you don't. And if not, not a problem. We love you all the same. We really appreciate your support either way, really. Still not. Still got our socks knocked off every time we look at the download numbers. Really fun. Anyway, enough of that. We know what you're here for, really. Today's guest is obviously the brilliant, is the brilliant Shakes of Thrones or Lauren. And I will not deny you the pleasure of listening to her talk about Shakespeare and Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire any longer, okay? So without further ado, let us head down to the lakeshore and meet today's guest. Ladies and gentlemen, green men of all ages, it's my pleasure to say hello to Lauren, sometimes better known as Shakes of Thrones. Hello and how are you today, Lauren? Hello, I'm great, Joe. It's great to be here at the Isle of Faces. How are you? Yeah, thank you. Oh, I'm fine. Thank you for asking. <laughs> a bit hay fevery, but uh, I'm sure I'll survive. Thank you for traveling over to the other faces today. I know you're a very busy person, and we're recording this early in the morning, your time. So, so thank you again, because normally I'm up in the middle of the night recording these, so you're already a plus in my book. <laughs> it's great you've agreed to come on. It's really cool to have perspective active member of our community stopping by the aisle to uh, speak with us again do you want to tell us where you're talking to to us from today yes i am talking to you from the usually rainy pacific northwest in mm. washington state um western washington but it's we've actually been having a spell of pretty good weather here it's the summer oh, so cool. we usually have beautiful summers um yeah, yeah we're, is... we're used to rain as well. Oh, yeah. I, You know, I've lived in England before, so it, oh, it did cool. feel like home to me. I've <laughs> yeah, lived a lot of places, but um, the Pacific Northwest is where I'm from. So I just moved back here from Chicago a couple oh, months cool. ago. So it's good to be back. Yeah, I bet. I bet. And I know you've uh, you've just recently got a new job, so congratulations on that as well. Yeah, we were originally going to uh, do this podcast couple weeks ago and we both had conflicts and mine ended up being an interview for a job and I got the job yay (laughs) definitely worth the delay then have you started yet or is that still to come no it's still to come I um I started in August I'll be a music therapist in an adolescent behavioral unit at a hospital oh super oh that's great well done congratulations we wish you all the best of that so, uh, like I said in my intro, we've got a whole bunch of questions tweeted and messaged in. Messaged in. Uh, people were very excited to hear you uh, coming on the aisle, because obviously you're uh, very popular on Twitter. So, And I've got my own questions as well, and I'm sure you've got a lot to tell us, so we, uh, I guess we'd best begin, really. And I'm sure it'll, come, it'll sound much more eloquent coming from yourself. Would you like to give us just a quick... Uh, synopsis of who you are and what it is you do within the fandom? Yeah, sure. Is it obvious from your Twitter handle anyway? Yes, yeah, I'm a Twitter person, so for the past three years I've been on Twitter as Shakes of Thrones, and I basically talk about Shakespeare and A Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones. Um, I tweet gifts matched with Game of Thrones, or Game of Thrones gifts matched with Shakespeare tweets every Sunday in a popular hashtag called Shakespeare Sunday, and Mm -hmm. I also write, rewrite scenes from Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire and Shakespearean verse. And in the past year, I've gotten into writing analysis essays as well, like so many in the fandom who have come before me, which I found is really hard, but also really rewarding. Yeah, that's great. You've only been doing it for, I've read your stuff, so the fact you've only been doing it for a year makes me feel bad because I've been doing it for ages and they're not not to par. So well <laughs> done you. You've done really, you've got involved very quickly. Oh, thank you very much. And before we go forward, uh, please do tell us where we can all find you on 
on the internet because I do encourage people to pause right now and go and check out all of your previous work, although I'm sure they have already. Right. Uh, like I said, you can find me at Shakes of Thrones on Twitter. Uh, com is where I post my lengthy essays that are harder to put on Twitter. <laughs> and you can also find me on, you can find me on YouTube at Shakespeare of Thrones where I um, read my essays if you want to listen to oh, it cool. in an audio version. And I also have a video of myself eating a uh, habanero pepper and reciting sonnet 18. So <laughs> if you want to check that out, that's there too. Start with that. Start with that. That's top priority. <laughs> Okay, great. Thank you for that. Um, so we usually start off these episodes by asking uh, about the books or reading or, or how you came to A Song of Ice and Fire, which we will get to. But I thought this time we'd do it a little different and try our hands at some ice-breaking games. How does that sound to you? Sounds great. Okay, great. Well, we'll see how it goes. It's a first. And uh, I've not done one of these recordings for about six months now, actually. So I apologize oh, for us, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so our first game then is yay or nay. So you can tell already, slightly Shakespearean uh, form of yes or no. And I'll say, <laughs> I'll apologise to you and dear William if I'm uh, going over the top of it, <laughs> trying to make this Shakespearean. Uh, our listeners can't see, but I have got my great big white collar on and I've discovered the potato. But anyway, <laughs> yay or nay. So Lauren, I've got three statements I'm going to read out and all you've got to do is tell us whether you yay or nay to that sentence and you can maybe tell us why as well. How's that? All right, sounds good. Okay, great. Yeah, it's not the most complicated games, hopefully. Yay. So number one, yay or nay. The West Coast of the USA is very similar to the West Coast of Westeros. Hmm. Yay, actually. Yay? Yay, Super. because... Right. Um, Sound effect, ding, ding, ding. Yay! Uh, I, I would say that, you know, the Lannisters down south and Lannisport and Casterly Rock and all that, it's kind of like LA, you know, it's a little bit... Yeah. It, it can be sunny down there and people are blonde and it's like a <laughs> populous area, but then you get further up north and there's the uh, Iron Islands, which is kind of like the Pacific Northwest. Everybody's kind of grungy and unwashed and... <laughs> A little bit bitter and cynical about life. Uh, I I don't know. I wouldn't put that as a blanket statement for everybody in the Northwest. But we have that reputation sometimes. Yeah. Okay, great, great. Good comparison. Okay, number two then. In a tourney, you would enter the melee before the jousting or the archery. Yay or nay? Ooh, nay. Nay, okay. I'm more of a precision (laughs) person. And I don't like crowds. So you'd be archery, would you? Yeah, it it would be jousting or archery because uh, I I don't do well with crowds. And I think like the melee is always the one where you're just kind of, it's basically like a mosh pit of fighting, isn't it? It would be a bit horrible, yeah. Yeah. If you had to pick archery or jousting? Ooh, let's see. You know, I've done archery in real life. I have not done Mm. jousting in real life, although I did it (laughs) on Second Life once. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well there you go so you experienced them both but I would say archery I think it seems like something that I would want to get it, it seems like the more intellectual thing and the thing that uh, requires less equipment you know doesn't oh, require true. a horse yeah <laughs> you could do it on a horse as well you could be really good and do oh, both that's, at once that's, that's, yeah Dothraki style <laughs> yeah exactly okay last one then number three uh, a much uh, harder question to answer but Yay or nay, A Storm of Swords is the most tragic of the Song of Ice and Fire books, and this in turn makes it the most relatable to the works of Shakespeare. So have at that. Yeah, you know, I would say yay and nay. It's 
It's one of those annoying okay. yes and no questions. Two sound effects like, this time. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> um, Yay! I agree. It's the most tragic of the books in a way because there are so many huge tragic events in mm-hmm. A Storm of Swords which are similar to events and motifs in Shakespearean tragedies. Like There are these disrupted feasts that happen a lot in Shakespeare and mass mm. murder and the duel between... Um, Oberon in the Mountain has always been a little bit reminiscent to me of the duel between Mercutio and Tybalt from Romeo and Juliet. Um, Mm -hmm. Perhaps because Oberon and Mercutio remind me so much of each other. They're so charismatic and charming and loving of life, but also extremely overconfident. (laughs) (laughs) And that leads to their doom. And then you also have Tyrion killing his father and we we see that uh, theme of kinslaying in Shakespeare as well. But yeah. I don't know. Game of Thrones is also hugely Shakespearean to me, especially with okay. Ned's POVs. Uh, I think if you look at his arc specifically, it's the most Shakespearean from beginning to end, not just because his end is all wrapped, wrapped up and we know where it leads, um, mm. but because he is kind of framed as this tragic hero, this protagonist who we're rooting for and ends up having these tragic flaws which um, get the best of him. And yeah, I've written an essay about that. If you want to check it out at my website, shakespearethrones.com, which outlines similarities between him and Brutus and Julius Caesar, but he's framed more as like the anti-Brutus, but still in a very tragic hero fashion. Anyway, I can ramble on and on about that. But, um, yeah, we, we then, could listen to you all day very easily. I could yeah, sit here. But then I, w- I would say that, you know, dance is ha- has like this psychological and emotional undercurrent that is also very similar that, that we see in a lot of Shakespeare's plays, especially in, in Hamlet, which, um, you know, is definitely has like that psychological depth to it that mm. um, we, we associate so much with Shakespeare and modern literature and it's really great to get inside of characters heads so much and and their their hearts and conflicts with themselves which is what george loves to write so much about so yeah i'm just really excited to see what the next book brings us as far as that because it seems like each book has um only gotten better I'm not sure yeah, if you agree, yeah, I'd but, agree i'd agree yeah that's brilliant that's that's awesome we can see why you've uh, gained so many fans like i say we're, we're quite happy to sit i won't talk for the rest of the time we'll just listen to you oh, i'm just rambling <laughs> yeah that's the best way to do it and there you go the icebreaker game works obviously because we can see uh your uh, passion and knowledge of shakespeare coming straight away there um okay second game shorter game this time it's called Teacher, Preacher, and Sword, and it's a scenario time. So I'm going to give you a scenario, and you got to answer me. So, scenario is, you sailed away, we'll put you in the Westerlands, where you um, kind of are in real life, and say we, you've sailed west into the Sunset Sea, you've discovered a brand new land, but your ship's a small one, you've only got room for three and yourself, and you have room for a teacher, a preacher, by which I mean a, a politics, or like a PR dude, and a swordsman, a warrior. So which three people from all of A Song of Ice and Fire would you take with you to fulfill those roles and keep you company in your boat? Oh, gosh. It's toughy. This is really tough because I don't have to, because I'm not just like trying to think of who would best fulfill these roles, but I need to assemble a team that would 
be cohesive and get along. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the gonna... much harder part. Find yeah, three people that's... that won't throw each other out the boat. That's really hard to do in Westeros. Okay, mm. I think for my teacher, oh no, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start with um, my preacher, my preacher person. Which, yeah. when I hear politics or PR guy, immediately I think Tyrion. And, you know, bless Tyrion, I guess. I love him, but I don't really want to be on an island on a, <laughs> on a boat with him. Um, no, it doesn't do well on boats so yeah. far, no. So I'm actually going to choose Catelyn because ah, she's we great go, yeah. at politics. And, yeah. yeah, I think that she can do the PR thing really well. And I think we get along really well because she's my pa- favorite POV. So um, There we go. Yeah, and for my sword, Brienne, obviously, she's, yes, she is my right-hand woman. She is my sword. And, and she they do called... get on, so there you go. Yeah, yeah, and she's, like, my favorite character. So there we go. And she and Catelyn get along great. Well, pre-Lady Stoneheart days, anyway. Yeah, yeah, they did. <laughs> We're talking Catelyn, not Lady maybe. Stoneheart, just That's making right, that clear. Yeah. yeah, you definitely don't want to be on a boat with her. <laughs> no. And teacher, let's go with Maester Lewin. Because Ooh, he knows nice. about astronomy and all kinds of useful rational things. He could sail by the stars, I bet, if he had to. Yeah, he probably could. I love a bit. They're all great picks. I like all of them, especially giving uh, Catelyn some politics uh, acknowledgement. That's what I mean. Some yeah. Acknowledgement. yeah she no, she's get great at politics. No, she doesn't. Okay, great. There you go. The two games then to break the ice a bit of a roll in now. So I'll get into the, the meat of it and start. Uh, we can start getting to know you a bit better. So on your website uh, that you mentioned, which is beautiful, by the way, once we stop recording, you're going to have to give me some design tips. And Oh, thank you. It's just a word. Yeah, I spent a lot of time looking around for the um, different uh, prepackaged things that I could do on WordPress, and I found one, one eventually, but I could definitely help you if you need it. Oh, I, I definitely need it. Only one quick glance at my website will tell you I do. Your logo especially... <laughs> John slash Will is uh, (laughs) brilliant. But on your website, it has a very handy uh, about me section, or about you rather, which uh, I'm not just going to read out because it's going to come, it's going to sound much better as we find out about you as we go. But it does give us some handy hints about what to ask. And on it, you mentioned that you had a drama teacher that was really important to you in your youth and opened up your eyes to a lot of stuff. Hence the last question and where you picked Maester Lewin. So perhaps you'd like to tell us a bit about that teacher and what she or he gave you and how those experiences uh, affected you later on. Yeah, there were actually um, a couple teachers. Um, they were they're a married couple who set up this local Shakespeare festival Um, that I participated in as a kid during the summer because I was like 10 years old and basically just sitting on my butt all summer and watching TV (laughs) and my mom was like that's not gonna do and she um, enrolled me in this uh, youth theater program at the Shakespeare Festival and yeah it was this married couple with a big family who ran the whole thing and they were both both experienced uh, actors and directors and I, the, the one especially, I think the, the man, he wasn't as experienced worth working with kids and he could be a little bit harsh sometimes <laughs> and <laughs> I think made me cry a few times, but um, the wife, the she was a lot more gentle with children and I think she eventually took over the entire youth program, oh, okay. but, but it's good, you know, it's, it's good to get a little bit of tough love. <laughs> um, yeah. 
But yeah, we like I was in Hamlet when I was 10. And that's a really intimidating and very dark play to be in when you're 10. But I don't know, they just made it really fun. And we would start with improv games related to lines that we were saying in the play. And um, we would talk about what everything meant. And it was it wasn't the whole play. We would Hmm. it it was pared down a little bit, but the lines weren't changed at all. That's Um, great. And I remember I really didn't like it at first. I thought it was too hard and I couldn't memorize the lines. My grandma had to help me memorize them. But then um, when opening night came and we performed, I just loved it and fell in love with it and kept on coming back. And it just felt like this world to escape into, kind of like a, I don't know, like a little fantasy world where everybody yeah. talks funny and sits. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. But, but, you know, Shakespeare's very clever, though. I, I fell in love with a lot of the very, the, the cleverness of Shakespeare first, I think. Like, um, I remember Much Ado About Nothing was also another one of the plays that we did. And mm-hmm. it's just so funny, you know. And, <laughs> and Beatrice and Benedict have that classic hate to love um, relationship, you know, enemies to to lovers kind of a thing which is just a trope nowadays and so many of his so many of the motifs and and structural elements from his plays have become like standards in, yeah. in literature and storytelling baseline and, mm. yeah i mean even in the comedies you know somebody assuming a disguise and <laughs> getting up to all kinds of mischief and there's this dramatic irony where the audience knows and nobody else in the play knows and oh we're trying not to find out that this person is um absolutely somebody else and we certainly see that in a song of ice and fire with um aria multiple times as she assumes new identities so oh yeah yeah i'm starting to ramble more but yeah yeah i don't know it was just uh it's just kind of like this thing in the summer and sometimes in the fall that I would do where yeah I uh, the best word I can use is it just felt like an escape to another land and another world and it is in a way but it also yeah of course but as I got older I realized how uh, how important Shakespeare is to modern literature and our world like how how fundamental how how fundamentally changed our modern English language is as a result of Shakespeare. It's it's astounding. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's also it's a great story to hear. Uh, you mentioned it being escape. I'm sure a lot of us book readers and uh, literature fans we can all relate to finding something similar, especially in childhood. But that's, we I love hearing stories of uh, teachers or schools or whatever it might be of kind of in introducing kids to that I've been a teacher my wife's been a teacher it's very hard to get kids impassionate something in something like that or anything really so to hear success stories that's always really great yeah and what was cool I remember something else I wanted to say um yeah what was cool is that in the years following like as you got a little bit older you would graduate onto this program where you were a stagehand for the adult plays because they did oh okay you know um plays which were you know the full script and they had you know actual paid actors in them and that yeah. felt it made me feel like really like I was moving up in the world and yeah, that's really learning cool even more because then you would take master classes from the professional actors and wow. um, yeah it was just really cool 
Yeah, that's a that sounds an amazing setup. I wish we had more stuff like that here. That sounds brilliant. <laughs> so, so this is one in your uh, kind of preteen years. So, I want to ask you about your high school experience with Shakespeare. Obviously, I have a limited knowledge of how the U.S. school system works, but I assume that mm. Shakespeare is fairly present. We obviously being in England, it was a big thing here. We had our everyone had to go to the Globe Theatre when you're twelve and. Uh, I think we read Midsummer Night's Dream and then mm. for exams we did Macbeth and Hamlet and I remember that always makes me laugh because for some reason when we got to 16 they split us boys and girls again and the boys did Hamlet and the girls did Romeo and Juliet. That makes but, no um, sense. I don't know. I didn't know it then. I still like, don't the know now. I'd love cho- to ask. Did, did you all have a choice? It was just, oh, like, no. oh my God, that's kind of We'd weird. been boy and girl from the beginning and then for some reason we got to our last year they decided to split us again and for some reason thought that the girls would only appreciate... Uh, Romeo and Juliet oh and the boys God. of Romeo's appreciate Hamlet which is quite archaic I really would like to speak to some of my former <laughs> teachers and find out why that was but there we go so but what was your experience for that as you got a bit older oh, I'm I'm still like floored by that actually yeah <laughs> I'm trying to figure out the logic behind that but um... I'd love to have an answer for you but I really don't <laughs> I'll, I'll just think about that for a while I think um yeah, okay, so my experience. I think I remember reading Midsummer Night's Dream and, I don't know, watching a movie or something in middle school to go along with it. Um, but I was in drama club in high school. Like, I was already jazzed and hyped for Shakespeare by the time I got to high school. I was like, yeah. all right, let's, let's do a lot Lead of Shakespeare. And, um, we only did, in drama club, and this is extracurricular, so we did a classical play every fall, and the teacher alternated it with, Shakespeare this year something else uh, the next year like um, you know Oscar Wilde or Moliere or something and I was like oh can't we just do Shakespeare all the time <laughs> which is More not Shakespeare. What, which you know said no one ever but me <laughs> <laughs> but, um, as far as the actual curriculum that we had in high school yeah we read Romeo and Juliet in freshman year in um, first year so but that was everybody boys yeah. and girls <laughs> and okay. let's see in senior year i think that you could either take uh you, you could you, you didn't have to take english your senior year you could enroll in advanced placement english if you wanted to read shakespeare which covered hamlet or you could take um an elective credit which was like a whole semester of Shakespeare. And of course I did that. Yeah, definitely. Easy <laughs> choice. Yeah, yeah. And we we read, I don't know, we read a bunch of them. We read Macbeth and Hamlet and um, I can't remember all the other. I, I think I had already read all of them by the time I got there actually. And I was like, maybe I should have done the advanced placement thing and just done Hamlet really in depth. But what, what I really loved about Shakespeare Lit is that we watched a lot of movies, which is... I think really important for people understanding Shakespeare. I, I I know a lot of people who talk to me about wanting to get into Shakespeare. They ask me, "How do I? What's play do I start reading?" I'm like, "No, don't start reading something. Start watching something. Like first right. go to the theater. Um, but if you can't do that, then here here's some great adaptations for the screen that you should watch. But we could get to that later." Um, yeah we will definitely yeah and then in between junior and senior year of high school i also did a two-week internship down at the oregon shakespeare festival which is kind of like my um stratford on avon my my globe theater yeah (laughs) to to you guys i mean it's 
not the historic significance, of course, but um, it's, I would say the premier Shakespeare festival in the U.S. It's oh wow, yeah, they're, they're amazing down there. Oh, cool experience. Oh, brilliant. I think you've kind you've kind of shown us this already, but I will still ask. Um, and it, even if you hadn't, it's too difficult to just put into mere words. But can you just tell us a little bit about exactly what it is uh, about Shakespeare's works that you fell in love with, or what mainly keeps you coming back? Because obviously, like you say, you read them so early on, but you're still now years later coming back and analysing. So what it what is it that uh, keeps bringing you back? Yeah. Um... It's hard to say because Shakespeare's been there for such a long time. And I guess part of it is just seeing him pop up in all these places and when I'm not even expecting him to, a line or uh, a character. And I'm like, oh, hey, here's here's Shakespeare, Whether even whether this author knows it or not. You know, it could be part of their mm-hmm. literary subconscious. I mean, sometimes you can tell, yeah, okay, this is intentional. And even George R. R. Martin was has said that he loves Shakespeare and of course. intentionally drawn some parallels between um you know war of the roses and song of ice and fire and yeah, yeah. i think he's also explicitly married uh, mentioned Tyrion and richard the third but i don't there's like this whole literary subconscious that we all have that traces directly back to shakespeare and even if like i start writing a story i could like i i won't even know it sometimes i'm like oh <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe i should um you know, differentiate this a little bit from Macbeth or something because I, or, or work with the themes here because I can see some of this structure or this thematic similarity coming out, but don't, don't want to telegraph it necessarily. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that I write stories and they all come out like Shakespeare because I'm not deep into it, but I I think that there's something to be said for, uh, I don't know, working with that part of, of of your of your head that is your your creative mind that is informed by this great figure in the, the western literary canon who has influenced so much i don't know that's that's a really yeah that's a really big question it's a tough question <laughs> yeah yeah that would take us a while i was a bit mean there and you mentioned there you so you write your own fiction stuff now yeah i try to i don't publish anything yet it's it's a lot of starting stories and not finishing them i need to oh yeah them. i've been there don't worry yeah that's part of it that's all part of it we all have to do that but yeah that's cool i hope we do get to read some of your stuff soon that'd be cool. yeah I'm, I'm hoping so and that's that's yeah, the definitely. next step Feel like Absolutely. a lot of this analysis is, is is kind of preparing me for um maybe writing my own stuff so that would be great oh, we hope so we hope so do let us know we'll be right there <laughs> back to your website and the the about me section so your favorite characters your uh, shakespeare characters i mean they're listed as uh Falstaff and cleopatra now thankfully i can say i didn't have to google cleopatra that would be quite bad but shamefully, I did have to double check fast stuff because I I knew the name and I knew he's in uh, he was the guy that's in multiple and I might have been able to guess he's in I want to say he's in Mary Wise yeah. of Windsor yes okay, he is good. um but I wouldn't have been confident to put money on it so give us the 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 top trumps cards just tell us about these two characters and why you pick those two out of all the hundreds of characters you could pick and perhaps who they reflect in. A song of ice and fire oh goodness yeah um <laughs> yeah these two characters are just larger than life um if they have anything in common it's it's that you know you just they're magnetic in their 
charisma, both of them. Uh, Cleopatra, she's just this unapologetic bad bitch who rules <laughs> Egypt, but she's also extremely vulnerable when she's in love. And um, I think she also has a lot of insecurity, which is revealed at the end of Antony and Cleopatra. It's called Antony and Cleopatra, but to me, it's more about Cleopatra. It could just be called mm -hmm. Cleopatra. And uh, Falstaff is great. He's he's like this drunk, fat peasant who's supposed to um, provide like a counterpoint to the the prince he hangs out with, who's kind of the star of the play in Henry the Fourth when Falstaff appears, and yet Falstaff becomes this character capable of a lot more emotional depth than Hal himself. And he's quite philosophical at times too. And what's really great is that Queen Elizabeth saw this character Falstaff and she loved him so much that she told Shakespeare to write a play about him in love. And that ended up being Merry Wives of Windsor. So it's kind of like the first fanfic <laughs> yeah. that we have in yeah that's weird to think yeah. i just love thinking about queen elizabeth you know what a cool lady to uh false oh, staff yeah. to, to, to do that with false staff because she's you can just imagine her watching this dull history play which okay i <laughs> don't want to put words into her mouth or anybody's mouth henry the fourth is a really cool play but you can imagine her watching this history play and be like oh god you know <laughs> <laughs> and then she sees false staff and just like yes that more of that <laughs> and then that ends up being Shakespeare's new central character in a play. Um, yeah, but as for cool. characters they represent in A Song of Ice and Fire, I would say Cleopatra, you can see traces of Cleopatra in Daenerys a lot, mm -hmm. especially yeah. in how people see her. Uh, like She's just this sort of goddess-like character. Um, he's all golden and and beautiful and perfect but when you get beneath the surface a little bit and she's very powerful but when you get beneath the surface you see like all these bubbling um conflicts and insecurities and that makes her very similar to daenerys uh, to me um she also has a lot of cersei in her she's very possessive of her lover <laughs> like cersei is of jamie yeah. um and Falstaff is, I would say, in, in demeanor, he is a lot like Robert Baratheon, the, the yeah. late Robert Baratheon. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're both portly and often drunk and like a good roll in the hay. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't think, uh, well, you know, Robert has his moments where he, he says some pretty poignant things. And, you know, especially on his deathbed to Ned. And you're mm -hmm. like, oh, God, this really is the end. And. Um, and, you know, like how Fal Falstaff has his philosophical moments. I, I think that there there is a huge depth to Robert Baratheon as well, even though he might not be the best of kings, the best of people. Yes, yeah, this gives him credit. He does have it. <laughs> they are in there. They're, this moments are sprinkled in. Yeah, I like that da uh, Daenerys mm. comparison, especially like you said about the the vulnerability and the change between public image and personal and how different it can be that's a great comparison mm. uh so yeah obviously you do you have continued with your love of shakespeare into adulthood because you're still analyzing you have your website but are you involved in any other way are you still involved with any of the productions or anything like that no i wanted to in fact i signed up to audition for othello a few weeks ago but oh, it wow. was a production that was far away from me and then i 
got my job and I realized that's going to be really hard to do rehearsals and I don't want to stress myself out. So I am going to keep looking though. Um, Oh yeah, definitely do. Yeah. Because it's something I really want to get back into. I actually haven't acted or been in a Shakespeare play since I was 19 and that's 15 years now. So I'd really like to get back into it. Oh yeah. We definitely hope you do. That'd be cool. Yeah. I'll I'll tell Twitter about it when I do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We'll be waiting. So uh, we'll leave Shakespeare behind just for a little bit and maybe you can tell us what your other interests were uh, back in your teen years and your youth and were you, a, you know, apart from Shakespeare, were you a big reader or maybe more of a movie watcher? What were you into? Oh, definitely both. Um, I've always loved books and movies, uh, especially stories that had an edginess or darkness to them. Like when I was a really young kid, I was obsessed with The Wizard of Oz and mm-hmm. Return to Oz, which is incredibly dark. And yeah, I love the never ending story because it scared me to death. The wolf <laughs> scared me so much. Um, and then I got like really into serious dramas at an early age, which is kind of weird. I got really obsessed with Amadeus. I don't know if you've seen Amadeus. It's about, I have. Yeah. It, it, I got mm-hmm. obsessed with that movie when I was six. And I was like <laughs> my big introduction to music, actually. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of funny because I had like all these fantasy stories that I was into. And then got into these big serious adult dramas (laughs) but um yeah and my favorite books as my favorite book as a kid is this book that um everybody in my school read because it was in the library and everybody loved it but i found that not many other people have read it it's called amy's eyes and it's about this uh, girl in an orphanage with a puppet who comes to life and takes her sailing um Okay. around the world with all these other puppets who come to life it's it's definitely in, in that fantasy vein um yeah yeah it's it's well, a really sold cool me story. i'm gonna find it now yeah it's really good and of course i was a teenager when harry potter started being written or maybe mm-hmm. maybe a kid preteen and that was really cool just to be living in that era as a teen when harry potter yeah. was still coming out and i loved harry yeah potter. we're lucky and, we are very lucky. Um, yeah, I love a lot of other classic literature. I was, yeah, I read a lot of classic literature in, in high school. I ate my greens and my peas <laughs> and asked for more. And uh, especially Thomas Hardy. Aside from Shakespeare, I, I really love Thomas Hardy. Um, he Super. wrote Far From the Matting Crowd, Return of the Native, Jude the Obscure, all those. That's great. That's excellent. Fine. Brilliant. And uh, so speaking of TV, I've been seeing on your tweets recently that you just started uh, Breaking Bad. How are you finding it? Still sticking with? Oh, yes, I love it. It's great. Yeah, yeah I especially love season two. Um, I, I think I'm on season five now and I, it's it's getting really good again. I felt like season three and season four were there were some lulls, but great moments, obviously. Yeah, oh, yeah. You, you've done better than me. <laughs> I've, never, I've not got past episode three, season one. I've tried three times. It's not oh, really? Oh. Yeah, I don't know why. Don't know why. Yeah, just can't. Just don't seem to pick you it know, back up. But I'm glad you're enjoying it. Not everything is for everybody, though. So, yeah. and that's fine. Oh yeah, I really enjoyed the first three episodes. Just one of those ones that I don't seem to uh, find yeah. my way back to. But maybe I'm one day. I'm sure. There's so much. One to day watch. I'll run out of programs. There's yeah, so much. one day they'll dry out. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's move slightly back towards A Song of Ice and Fire. <laughs> We've just been I, talking I, about Shakespeare yeah, and I know, me we'll this entire time. <laughs> well, that is the point in the podcast. We're not doing too badly, but we'll try and involve George a little bit. He gets left out otherwise. Uh, I think I'm right in saying you were a show watcher first. Is that right? Yes. Yes, I was. When did you and the show first 
cross paths was that early on in the show's existence or were you a latecomer like actually myself? pretty oh you were a latecomer too that's good yeah i was 2014 i guess yeah season four yeah okay well i was later than you actually um all right yeah i was really late i tried getting into it um around season two season three because friends told me about it and i was like oh i'm gonna read the books first because hmm. obviously Always a good idea. i want to be a smug book, book reader who read the books first. <laughs> but um, i don't know i couldn't get into it for whatever reason i was listening to them on audiobooks and um you know i love roy detrice and everything but i had like a short commute and it was just too difficult to get into um this mm. this yeah. huge dense fantasy That's political book dive, series yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I tried watching the show. I wasn't really into all the sex position stuff. I was like, this is not for me. Didn't get past the first two episodes and just didn't really think about it for, or maybe I watched three episodes because I didn't think about it until season six was on and I was um, accidentally watching the Hodor episode with uh, some friends and i was like oh i remember hodor and <laughs> i'll just watch he does this. stick out yeah and but it was the hold the door episode and i was like holy wow. crap and <laughs> yeah. it, i just kept thinking about it and i was hearing people talk about it on the radio and people talk about it at work and just losing their minds over it and I thought, you know maybe i really should give this another chance and so i did in the middle of season six and came wow. to the fandom shortly thereafter so yeah yeah, what an episode to get involved in. Yeah, <laughs> right. Straight in the deep emotions. Right, and then read the books pretty much. I binged the series like twice and then read the books. Mm. And still on my second, or my first reread, I guess you would say. But, yeah, um, yeah. Definitely first hasn't have maybe, not I'm been sure. around as long as others have. Well, some, yeah, some people are pretty hard to beat. They've been around <laughs> decades, but uh, never mind, we keep going. Um, so, and you said earlier about you're um, really passionate about the screen adaptations of, of Shakespeare and I think we're probably right in saying nothing has been adapted to screen as much as as his work so maybe can you just speak about the job you think HBO and the uh, D&D did overall with the Song of Ice and Fire yeah. as an adaptation yeah you know um, again I think maybe question. maybe it's different coming to it as a show watcher first and somebody who binged a good part of the series um you know like three quarters of it um uh, yeah. but i unabashedly love game of thrones even oh, after, no, even after reading the books it's just i i love it you know and a lot of these things that are problems for um other people i they're, they're kind of minor problems for me i don't know yeah and, and maybe that's also because of being a theater person and i'm so into the visuals and the mm. acting and thinking about um, just the craft of that visual medium um, that I'm, I'm not as worried about uh, nits in dialogue and um, character arcs, even, even though, you know, it just like takes me, a, it honestly, I have to think hard about it to find error in it. Like it's usually when I, and that's, that probably sounds horrible to most people, but um, like I can't critically think or something, but I'm just like so into it as I'm watching it. And then when I see yeah, somebody no, say something separation. about the, about the script or, you know, character that's ruined or whatever, I look at what they say and I'm like, oh, you know, I can see that from your point of view, but it's just mm. not that big of a deal for me. And I even loved yes. season eight. Like I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. You know, I think that Jamie and Tyrion could have been written better 
this last season. I, I would say like that's my biggest uh, nit is the Lannister boys. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually thought that Daenerys got plenty of attention, um, and her arc was really good to me in season eight. I, I was more fond of her in season eight than any other season. <laughs> um, but even, even with my criticism about Tyrion and Jamie sometimes not um, having a really fluid character arc in, in the final season, it, it still wasn't that big of a deal for me. Like, I still loved it, you know? So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm just like, I'm kind of exhausted with the discourse. <laughs> but yes. it's still really happy that I, I had a good experience with the show. I found a kindred spirit. I mean, exactly the same way. I think many are that, you know, I can see problem. Like, Tyrion is a good example. I'm well aware that his character was underwritten for nearly half mm-hmm. the show, but mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter to me. I still <laughs> still loved season eight, exactly like you said. I don't know of anything more edge of my seat that I've ever watched. And um, even I can see problems then. And as I've, I've gone on for the last, whatever it is two months now i can see more but like you mm-hmm. said this doesn't doesn't block my enjoyment as much as other people yeah. although oh, i certainly see their points yeah it is um sorely missed i'm sure are you looking yeah. forward to the prequel shows the prequel shows yeah, yeah. Are you looking forward to them you know i'm i'm interested to see what they do it's uh not gonna be quite the same without the no. characters we know and love of course but it will be yeah. interesting to see what um they come up with in this same world with uh, storylines that are adjacent to the ones that we've uh, been experiencing all these years. So yeah, I'm definitely interested. I wouldn't say super hyped and excited yet, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, okay. I think you make a good point there as well about the, um, you know, being about able to appreciate the acting because that's not like I'm not, I've never done drama or anything like that. So I have a difficult time knowing I never know if anyone's acting well or not, but I think in season eight, I actually did think like, oh, I know they're going mm. all out, whoever it is, whether it's mm-hmm. um, Kit Harrington or whoever. Whatever. Amelia Clark. All of them, all of them, <laughs> basically, to be honest with you. Amelia Clark, I loved pieces um, and they all did so well. And I think that really came through in season eight more than any other series, even to Dunderheads like me who don't know what they're talking about. So for people like you who actually do know about acting and what is good acting, I'm oh sure God. it was exploding I mean, off the screen. I mean, the thing is, is that I was rehearsing this audition piece that I was going to do for Othello a few weeks back. And I was like, God, acting is really hard. I, mean, I haven't <laughs> done it in years. And, and I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'm just not going to commit this much to it because it was taking a lot of my time trying to prepare for it and I bet. eat like even since then just that little bit of preparation i thought acting is is yeah it's it's truly an art not anybody can do it and oh no it's, no it, hmm. what they did on game of thrones it's hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> no, no, nothing i've seen before or shall see again but uh we await the prequel show anyway of Crossed Fingers. Mm-hmm. Just, they've got a great cast coming up for it, so yeah, they're putting true, a lot of energy and they are money into it, so certainly fingers crossed prepared. for that. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, this is about our midway point, so we'll have our little section. We've got some extra special sections for you. Everyone's favourite is uh, Podrick's People, where I invite our guests to give a shout-out or highlight someone within the fandom that they're particularly fond of or who's done something that's caught their eye in the past however long so lauren would you like to highlight anyone oh yes um that would have to be my bff and the fandom maester mary um Yay. that's 
M-E-R-R-Y. If you're looking for her on Twitter, it's at Maester Mary. And uh, yeah, she's just great. We got to know each other a lot better um, over the past couple years. And um, she's just really smart. And she has great insight into a lot of the characters, especially John, who I think is her mm-hmm. favorite. And she has a great essay out about john and his arc in a dance with dragons and um what i really like about that essay is she um has like this sort of the sort of book club discussion format where she ends each section with a series of questions that we're supposed to think about and um i think that's really cool because i do Mm. think it's more it's all about the questions and not about the answers in a song of ice and fire so i was yeah, there, there's, there are a lot of reasons to be impressed with Maester Mary and to love her. She's also just a really cool person to talk to and really kind. Um, but definitely check out that essay of hers. Yeah, it's a great read. I, uh, I also, I'm actually very jealous of the, the, the format of her essay that you mentioned because I thought that was a, a really cool way of uh, doing it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely check that out. If you, I'm sure most have already, but if mm-hmm. you haven't, do it. make sure you do. Um, moving on. We like to ask our guests about their favorite characters. You've already given us a bit of a, a hint about your favorite character, and your you list on your site your five top POVs as as Brienne and Catelyn and Theon, Davos and Sansa. Yeah, they're always changing, but those are a good. I oh, think, I'm sure. I, I'm, I'm, I'm like, sure. oh yeah. When I was reading the outline, I was like, did I? Yeah, those. I think those are my top five still. I think they are. It's ever changing. It's too many to pick from. But um, perhaps you can give us a sentence on each of these, uh, these, uh, is it five? It's five, isn't it? Yeah. And why those particular ones stand out to you. So let's let's yeah. kick it off with Brienne. Yeah, uh, this could be like an entire podcast in itself. So I'll try yeah. to keep it short. Um, okay, so a sentence for each. Yeah, Brienne, I, well, I see a lot of myself in her. Um, so I guess that's why I gravitate towards her is my favorite character because um, she's just kind of like how I locate myself in the story. But uh, what really stands out about me for her stands out to me about her. Never mind. I've been talking too long. Um, is that she's got this quest um, arc where she's seeking a life of honor and duty. But beneath all of that, I think that it's really love that she's looking for. And that just, uh, that it just makes my heart burst for her, you know. I just, I just want to give her a big hug. <laughs> and um, Catalan, I love her self-awareness, even as the her world comes crashing down around her. Like she's tried to be, to play by the rules, play by the feudal playbook, and it's still not working, but she has like the self-awareness of what to do despite that. She's just mm. so strong. And Davis, like, yeah, I, I love it. He is our window into Stannis's world, and that's all very interesting and everything. But even by himself, he's this character who, like, we meet him after his redemption, you know, after he's had his fingers taken, and yeah. he's he's this smuggler in his past, and he's moved past that. And so he's like the sort of post-redemption arc guy. But then he continues to have these struggles and even has, like, this... Um, kind of rebirth in Blackwater Bay and even after that you know there's there's still all this conflict that he's struggling with and I, I find that really interesting about him and Theon 
I mean, come on. He's he's a character that we all wanted the worst for, and then he yeah. got it. And I don't know about you, but I feel terrible about yeah, wanting yeah, the worst yeah. for him. So, I mean, it's not just me feeling terrible for Theon, but feeling terrible about how I wanted the worst for him. <laughs> it's a master stroke it. by George and the, the old switcheroo pulls. It is. And then Sansa, of course, like she's the the princess of the story who's who's who loves stories and they're deconstructed and she like shares so much there's so much meta um <laughs> between her and the care and, and the reader as we're reading this story and it's um our expectations are subverted but and not just that but it's like there's just this exploration of um art the psychology of a, of a fantasy story and stories in general and how every choice is informed by the past and forms the future and uh, yeah i love sansa she's great they're all they're all good choices really cool to listen to your uh your reasons there especially you're right about davos being uh, a window they call uh area hotar the camera that mm-hmm. rides or whatever he is but davos is he's still a camera but he's a well-developed camera of a soul is so much more than just that but i think he's one of the best uses of um kind of secondary characters being given you know he's not the main guy in his pov it's all about stannis until it does eventually become about uh davos and mm-hmm. i just love everyone giving love to catelyn because i've always she's always been one of my favorites she's just okay. so, so cool and uh yeah, so it's great to have a smatch up, but I'm going to make it difficult for you now. I've yeah. gone from being nice, now I'm going to be nasty. I'm going to try and narrow it down a bit. So this time, instead of a sentence, I want just one word one from word. <laughs> each POV. So uh, whatever word pops into your head first. So if I say Fion, you would say... Reek. <laughs> oh, it's, it's dark, it's dark. Jeez, all right. I, I didn't mean that. Well, that is the first word. If I were given a second option, I would yeah, just say no. scared because I'm You're always scared answer, when I get to a Theon chapter. No, Reek is good. Okay, what about Davos? Loyal. Oh, I like that one. That's good. I like that one. And Catelyn. Family. Yeah, it's brilliant. We're getting lighter as we go on. We've moved on from yeah. <laughs> Um Brienne. Sword. Ooh, cool yeah. now. Great. And to finish <laughs> off, Sansa. A uh, princess, I would say. Princess, of course. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Don't blame you. Okay, let's see if we can... Um, you've got a really strong start in five. You'd win any basketball game easily. But can we narrow it down to one champion? Maybe we can have a little mini melee to see. Maybe not, <laughs> but let's see if we can get one out of the um, out of the group. What do you think? All right, let's do it. Okay, so I've got four extra questions here. And each time you're going to have to eliminate someone, okay? They can't come back. Once okay. they're done, they're done. All right? So oh, question they can't one. come back. Yeah, see, it's, we're brutal here on the island. There's no second choices. Okay. So question one, which character is the least likely to climb vines to chat to their love as dear Romeo does in the in the film adaptation so which of the five that i've that i've listed as my favorite that's right okay which was least likely i I was gonna say sansa because she does have some climbing action like when she's getting out of king's landing but (laughs) but she's i don't think that she would climb to see her love i think that i think that would be a brienne thing to do so you you think brienne would be least likely or most likely oh it says least likely oh yeah so it's tough okay least likely Mm. i I think Catelyn would be the least likely. You think? Oh no, Catelyn out in the first round. I didn't see it coming. Upset. 
Oof. All right, Callan's gone. So four remain. Oh, no. So uh, out of those four, who is most likely to have a corrupt spouse be their downfall? I'm going to say Davis. I think Maria. That's his wife's name, right? Maria. I think think that she's going to, like, get tired of his bullshit (laughs) and come come get him. (laughs) Be like, you never call. You never take care of the kids. (laughs) Where are you? I've always wondered if he's just trying to, like, I'd just rather go to war than deal with her. I'm not going back to her. So you might <laughs> no. be right there. But, okay, Davos is out then. Oh, he's mm, out. Nasty. Yeah, he's gone. Mm. Round three. So who would look worse in one of those big, huge, ruffled collars that they sometimes wore of the age? I think I'm right. Oh, gosh. Okay, so I've gotten rid of Catelyn and Davos. So we're left yes, with... We're left with Sansa and Brienne. I, I think Brienne would not rock the huge ruffled collar. That's tr- I think you've got, have you got Theon left as well? Oh, wait. I was left Theon the left. I still yeah, think Brienne would look worse in the, in the huge Yeah, I think collar. you're probably I, right. I hate to say that because she gets enough crap for her appearance, but it's it's not her style is the thing. Unless you could get like an iron one that could be mm. protective in some way. Maybe then, but that would, probably not. That would be rad. Yeah. Okay. So the finals... Sansa versus Fionn, as we all knew it would come down to. So who would be better? I think I know the answer here, but who would be better at remembering classic Shakespeare lines? Who would win a, a Shakespeare off? Oh, I think that'd be Sansa. That'd definitely be yeah. Sansa. Yeah, She's a good girl. Not a tough matchup. <laughs> She's got the memory. Yeah, she's smart. Especially if it was Romeo and Juliet, because all girls yeah. need to read Romeo and Juliet. Well, if you went to my school, <laughs> yeah. You had no choice. Okay, there we go. So we know officially Sansa is your favorite POV and you can't argue about it. All right. All right. So it's not Theon because I I didn't choose Theon for any of... um, No, we're going to have Sansa. Sansa is good. I am cool with Sansa. We changed that. We flipped that round for the last round. We went who won instead of who lost. Yeah, Sansa, definitely. Okay, great. And Mm. right, let's let's keep going because like you say, we could go all day. But yeah. We had some fan questions sent in, and we'll get to... I've got four written down. We'll, we'll do two now and two at the end. So first is from at JimmyMac42, and you kind of answered this already, but you can tell us again. He asks, where to start with Shakespeare if you only have school experience but are still a big uh, Song of Ice and Fire fan? Yeah, I always recommend watching some badass movie adaptations of Mm. uh, Shakespeare because that's what's going to get you into it. And um, it's meant to be seen. It's not meant to be read so much. Yeah, Um, I mean, sure, you can read Shakespeare and it's great, but it's it's better after seeing it. So get to the theater, uh, see a play production. Um, but if you don't have access to that, then I really, especially after reading A Song of Ice and Fire and watching Game of Thrones, I really recommend the Hollow Crown series on BBC. Yes, that's a good series. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, and I mean, they started doing that after Game of Thrones was in, I don't know, it was already in its third or fourth season by then. And you can definitely, you can definitely tell like there are some Game of Thrones overtones in (laughs) in that production of The Hollow Crown. Like if you start with Henry VI, you're you're definitely going to see a lot of, um, a Game of Thrones in there. Um, and it, it's it's not just because they're trying to t- do that, but because George lifted from Henry VI a lot of um, structural things. So that's interesting. I also re- yeah. recommend Titus with Ant- Anthony Hopkins. Um, that's yeah. a 2000 production that's really bloody and really good. Um, my favorite Macbeth 
production is the one with Michael Fassbender in 2015. Uh, okay. It also has... It, it, it's It's got a little bit of a Game of Thrones overtone to me as well. So I recommend that for, for show fans. And I my favorite adaptation of all time is the 1996 Romeo and Juliet. I It might sound basic. The one with Leonardo DiCaprio mm-hmm, and Claire Danes. Mm-hmm. But it's so good. And it's so inventive, too. It's like, I usually oh, don't even... Cool. I usually don't even like modern adaptations of Shakespeare, but this one just worked. And it's probably going to be the best Romeo and Juliet you ever see. Well, I can't speak I for everybody. I agree but with you. Yeah. No, I love, I love that film. That's a great film. Oh, it's so beautiful. I think I, because my, I have an older sister and I remember her like buying it on like video. And so I would have been like a kid, kid when I watched it. But I do remember watching it and thinking like, oh, they talk funny. <laughs> uh, all interest. And I'm guessing that must have been maybe my first uh, exposure to Shakespeare. I'm trying to think how old I would have been because I I read, I don't know if you've read Terry Pratchett's um, Weird Sisters, which is like the knock on oh, I haven't. Macbeth. I uh, haven't. So that's, it. that's like Macbeth, but Discworld style. Okay. Um, and I read that at the same time we were doing Macbeth at school. Because then that's I found that version like more funny as you do as a teenager, and but I'm thinking I think that the film the DiCaprio film would have been my first exposure and mm-hmm. it's always stuck with me and they still do show that to kids in English schools now because I've seen it happen yeah so that's a good way to get them involved yeah it is just stunning um, but there are also a lot of other great adaptations out there so mm-hmm. recommend seeking sure. those out and like you said there yeah. are so many. Uh, authors who riff on Shakespeare and um, you know take do not not just do modern adaptations of these plays but take elements from them Um, like you said Terry Pratchett just focuses on the witches aspect of it well they're they it's kind of like from their POV so to speak but it's the whole play there's the the, like the Macbeth character is there I can't remember what they call him and kind of they're, they're all there but it's it's brilliant. It might be my favorite Terry Pratchett, but that's oh, I could do that for that three down. hours. That's that's another podcast. Uh, I'll give you a link. <laughs> sure. Uh, so there you go, Jimmy. There's plenty of options for you out there. And secondly, uh, Sir Travis, who we all know and love, he asks, "What other works of literature do you believe share parallels with A Song of Ice and which might have influenced George on the way?" Yeah, this is. Um... This is kind of a tough one because he's already, George is already so open about all these works of literature that have influenced him. So if I, I don't know, I, I feel like I'm not going to say anything that's that, that's really new, except for something that resonates with um, me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, no, go for it. Yeah, yeah. So in this Shakespeare Festival, I was also in a production of the late medieval play Everyman, okay. which is... Um, I believe it's it's anonymous, like we don't know who wrote it, but it's about a man who is summoned by death, and his name is Everyman. And Everyman is allowed some time to find someone to go with him on his journey through death. But the only one who will go with him is good deeds, like everybody else, fellowship and kinship and material goods and everything. They're like, no, this is your journey alone, you can't go. And good deeds is like, well, I'll go with you, but you need to go to confession to make me stronger. And so he does. And so he's, he achieves Christian salvation. And yeah, the the play is about Christian salvation, but there's also like this very 
strong um, emotional, psychological undercurrent. And it's about human moral reckoning. And we definitely see that going forward in the Western literary canon and for sure in A Song of Ice and Fire. There are all these characters, I think, who have their own journey that they're taking and they have to achieve that kind of moral reckoning and do their good deeds and so that they can progress further along their arc. I'm thinking like Hmm. Jamie and Sandor and Theon, they all strike, they all strike me as everyman type characters and not Hmm. in the typical way that we talk of an everyman, like a, you know, this is everyman, but, but in the play, everyman who is, um, journeying to death. And even in game of Thrones, um, when we had that one scene that everybody hated in the, in the, season eight where Braun comes in with the crossbow and yeah. he's confronting Jamie and Tyrion saying, look, this is what I need. I need my castle and otherwise I'm going <laughs> to kill you guys. <laughs> I'm gunning for you. And I don't know, that just really vividly reminded me of this play. And yeah, going forward, they I, it's almost kind of like, and this is probably my imagination, but what is literature if not to kind of think of things like this like this is the fun of literature it was yeah. just kind of like death coming into every man saying this get your affairs in order pay your debts because death is coming for you and i mean it didn't in the end for Tyrion, but for jamie certainly and i saw him mm. going back to cersei as a kind of a good deed and giving her some of the um i don't know the goodness that he had achieved in the north yeah uh, you know? okay yeah that, that's a good take on it yeah yeah yeah, like, I don't know. I think I was I was upset about it at first because I saw it as a regression. And then I thought, well, I don't know. He's he's really giving her something. He's giving her this great gift, actually, mm. of humanness. And she, she has a human end with him. And he's kind of learned how to be human again. And that's that's a really special thing. So I like that. It's a great take. I've not thought about it at all. Good job there. So, that's great. Yeah. So, yeah, every man yeah. is this very dark play. And probably wondering, wow, what is this kind of a... <laughs> youth program you were in that you had you were doing all these weird <laughs> plays and it's how we roll here in uh western washington and yeah in the rain and the darkness i guess <laughs> super okay yeah there you go so travis question asked question answered so we'll leave the midway point then and uh, we'll get on because there's a few more questions yet to go oh my goodness <laughs> oh, yeah i know this it's is fun, normally my oh good i'm glad this is normally my favorite question about you've kind of already answered it but when did you so you said that you found the show first and and then you kind of binged the books but when did you really become aware of the the, you know the larger fandom and all the podcasts and all the analysis going on and when was the first moment you thought that you know you could dip your toe into this as well yeah i had no idea that there was even a book fandom like I had already read books and I had no idea there was like this huge book fandom on Twitter until I think this one week I was doing comparisons between Shakespeare characters and Game of Thrones slash Song of Ice and Fire characters and um, somehow Eliana uh, found mm-hmm. me at Arithmetic, Arithmetric Glass Table Girl all her names and, and she like started interacting with me and um, we were actually talking about Daenerys and Cleopatra and I, I I was just like wow you know she she loves Shakespeare and A Song of Ice and Fire too that's so cool and I wonder how many other people love the books and are you know talking about them in this way <laughs> and it I don't know I think that as we became friends I 
just other people started finding me and it, it was more like people found me and then I realized, wow, there are all these people having these conversations. <laughs> and I was so impressed with the level of um, intellect that everyone had. It's actually quite intimidating. You know, there are all these great ideas oh, yeah. and great minds and the fandom and yeah, it, it's definitely um one of the biggest surprises I think that I've I've found on social media is the is a good one. Fandom. No, it's really good because it's yeah. it's uh it's just great to come and talk about literature. It's just an online social media book club constantly. Yeah. And I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a paradise. So we have Eliana to thank. Oh yeah. We'll put that at our door as well. She's got so many accolades already, but we'll add that one to the yeah. list. Her and um, Faces alumni. Pat Spinagle too. Like Pat was mm-hmm. a big cheerleader of mine early on. He kept telling people about my account. He really liked some of the verse that I had written and so I have Pat Spinagle to thank for a lot. Good, good. We'll put <laughs> your two champions so speaking of uh, writing your own verse, which you did, you did mention early on as well. Um, did you start writing that at the same time you started like comparing and analyzing the two series, or did, did that come a bit after once you're more? No, it uh, actually. Of both. I, I started doing that early, early on. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. I uh, had actually seen some other people write. Shakespearean verse. I was motivated by something I saw on Tumblr or something. Somebody had written Shakespearean mm-hmm. verse for Sansa and the Hound, and I thought, oh, that's really cool. I want to try my hand at that. And so I did um, I did a few scenes. They're, they're mostly based on uh, show scenes, and I, yeah. I lay the verse over um, screenshots from, from the show. But, yeah, I, w- I was doing that far before I found the book fandom. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's been a while since I've written some. It is a little bit time intensive, so I have to set aside yeah, I bet. Like a few hours for it. Yeah, I can imagine. But we're very glad that you do find the time here and there. This, and being mean again, it's another too complex, stupid question, really. But maybe you can just tell us a bit about that process of, of writing verse and how you get your inspiration or how you edit it or kind of how you get from start to end, if you can. Horrible question, I know. I'm oh, sorry. yeah. Yeah, it is. It is very difficult. Um, I and I don't know. Sometimes it's easier than at, at times than others because George R. R. Martin and um, a lot of the scenes in the show. Sometimes they are written in a very lyrical way, and you don't have to change that much, and you don't want to change everything. Like you, if if somebody starts off by saying "Do you think?" you just change it to "Thinkest thou," and <laughs> like those are the easy ones where you can just kind of Shakespeareanize it, just phrasing <laughs> yeah. just a little bit. But then you also kind of, I, I like to try and uh, put some imagery and poetry into it if it's if it's not there already. Mm-hmm. And I can, yeah. It's, it's funny because when I start thinking about, when I start writing it, a lot of times I, like I took a lot of German and sometimes I think that writing Shakespearean verse is a lot like writing German because like all the all verbs right. are in different places sometimes. Okay. And and I actually have German going through my head at times. And it's <laughs> yeah, I mean that sounds like totally off the wall and weird, but it is like oh, a no, different language. Um the German doesn't like that doesn't help at all that I have another language <laughs> going through my head. But I use like a thesaurus and rhyme zone to 
do rhyming couplets if I'm looking at that. Mm. And I kind of count on my fingers for the iambic pentameter. And um, I read it aloud to make sure that it flows. And yeah, it's just like kind of a lot of um, rereading and it's it's like fitting yeah, it's like fitting course. a sheet over your bed you know just kind of tightening here <laughs> and pulling there until it's all nice and smooth that's great I, uh, again apologies for the difficult <laughs> question but it's good it's good to get an insight to uh, such a talent writing is hard man it's, it's oh, always yeah hard. i figured that out over the last like three years or so yeah it is too difficult I'll give you a slightly easier question now, at least I think so. Um, I want to talk about Fire and Blood because, as you say, you've just talked about the the actual meat and bones, the writing, the prose of it. So I'm wondering if you can still see Shakespeare in parallels, even, you know, obviously Fire and Blood is written as a, as a history, so it's not the narrative prose. So do you still see similarities in that, in those general yeah, plot points um, from Fire and Blood? While I was reading it through, like, not, not a whole lot as far as tragedies but definitely it's the war of the roses um structure and mm. i i think that when george R. R. martin uh leans on the war of the roses for inspiration he does lean more on the shakespearean like dramatized version than what actually happens in in history and you see that even with the um origin story of the greens and the blacks you know yeah Queen Alicent wearing green and Rhaenyra <laughs> wearing red and black to the open feast for the tourney. And right. in Shakespeare, we also get a little bit of an origin story for the uh, white and red roses that the Plantagenet fa- family wears for the what will ultimately become the Yorks and Lancasters. And they're just having, they're, they're like discussing a point of law um, outside their outside of parliament and they're picking roses off of a bush to say who they side with i mean the difference there is that it's like this very minor point of contention that starts in shakespeare's play and becomes this huge thing and and fire and blood i i think that the the point of contention you know the, the succession question is much more um it's like like it starts there and that that is a huge huge point of contention so that's Mm. like that's a little bit different but i i I don't think that george means to mirror um shakespeare in like he he doesn't mean to import like oh this i've seen people say oh you know the lancasters are clearly always the lannisters and the the, Mm. the yorks are clearly always the starks and for sure like he he borrowed those names you know um and adapted them somewhat and that's very clever but i don't think that they always it's not copy and paste and likewise in fire and blood it's not the copy and paste thing but you definitely see like this is his big war of the roses work (laughs) for Mm. a song of ice and fire which already has a war of the roses structure but no (laughs) fire and he wants another go (laughs) yeah yeah and i know i love fire and blood and i think what i love most about it is just how he presents it through um mushroom and the maester whose name i forget who um has his portion of the well it's the the information is filtered through these different sources you know and um they're all unreliable you just don't have one unreliable narrator Mm. but all of these unreliable narrators and it's up to the reader to decide or is it you know are all of these true and again it comes back to it is all about the questions and not about the answers. And I 
he does that so well. It's it's so impressive. I'm always just so impressed. Yeah, I, I was going, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I was going to ask if you enjoyed it overall because I know a few people that once they, the more casual fan, I mean, that once they found out it was a, a history instead of a narrative, they said, well, that's going to be boring, not going to enjoy that. But then once they read it, it mm. still reads like a novel. It's just presented differently. It's still the same plot beats and you get so, well, I definitely, yeah. I know everybody knew half of it, but I yeah. just got really into it. Oh, um, yeah, it was it's great. It's really good. It's really clever how they've um, how he's managed to do that. Can't wait for the next mm-hmm. one. Keeping on the book theme, then I'd like to ask everyone about Winds of Winter because it's, it's always on our minds. So maybe you can just give us quickly one aspect because there are so many to think of, but one aspect of Winds of Winter that you really just can't wait to read or find out about or see a conclusion to. Yeah, you know, I'm just into everything. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm excited for all of it. I think especially Lady Stoneheart and. Um, how that all falls out with mm-hmm. Brienne and Jamie, since you know they're, they're two of my favorite characters right there, Brienne and Catelyn. Yeah, and, that's you true. Know, the husk of her former self, and um, I, I love the whole zombified Catelyn thing and uh, mm. Lady Stoneheart. She, it, it's great. I mean, this is a character we didn't get to see in Game of Thrones, so it's mm. definitely going to be a huge surprise what happens there. Um, yeah, and. Yeah, I'm also looking forward to John's resurrection and how that will be different in the of books. Course. Um how different he will be. And um I'm yeah, after the uh, mercy chapter and the, the the sample chapter, I'm I'm really excited to see what what George has in store for us for um Arya and Bravos. I wasn't such mm-hmm. a fan of Arya's Bravos chapters in the past, but I, I really like this chapter probably because it's the play within a play thing. Looks <laughs> 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 right right up your alley, yeah. Yeah. So um I'm really excited for that. You know, I'm I'm not so huge on theories. I don't read a whole lot of theories. Um mm-hmm. I feel like I'm almost spoiling myself if I read too many of everybody's yeah, no, theories. Like, I'm aware of them, but I don't like to read too in-depth because then I feel like uh, when I'm when I, I'm afraid that when I read The Winds of Winter for real that I'm just going to be thinking about all of these theories <laughs> and mm, I don't really want to danger. do that. Yeah, but um, I'm just really excited to see how George's writing matures as well in, in this book that he's been working so long on. Yeah, and good point. how... I, I don't know. Like, I'm sure it'll be great. And in what I, I'm sure it'll be much the same as what we've had in the past. But it's just interesting to think there's been this whole cultural phenomenon in between A Dance with Dragons and The Winds of Winter. There's been the Game of Thrones. And hmm. to think that he's been writing The Winds of Winter through all of that. And wow, what a massive upheaval that must have been in his life. And it'll just be such a triumph when he finishes it and for us to read it. And I'll be so excited. <laughs> You make a great point though. I've not I don't think I've ever actually seen that brought up anywhere that his writing undoubtedly will have grown or changed in some way because it has been uh whatever it is, nine, eight years, whatever. Mm-hmm. So and like you say, with this big big T V show in the middle, which whether he likes it or not will have an influence. So that's really yeah. interesting. I mean I'm wondering if he's even going to drop any Easter eggs and or, you know, like <laughs> Name characters after actors or something because he, I mean he named characters after uh, Muppets in Fire and Blood. Yeah, it just seems like he would true. he would acknowledge he would give a nod to. Oh, uh, it's not for like, about that. Oh, I really hope we do now. Yeah. 
Now I'm going to be disappointed if we don't. Now you've built it up too much. I'm going to blame you. <laughs> if we don't have a minor character named Kit or something. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be a Kit. I think. I think an alleged name. Um, right, I've got two questions for you on Winds of Winter. Just two small ones, uh, which are kind of reflections of each other. Can, firstly, can you give us one thing that you think will happen, but you really, really don't want it to? You don't want to read about it. Mm. You know, I'm up for everything. I, I really <laughs> like reading. I You know, blood will have blood. I'm into all of it. But I, <laughs> it's the emotional stuff that, that really gets me. I uh, Especially after watching season eight um, and seeing how Jamie leaves Brienne and returns to Cersei. I don't know if that's a winds of winter thing or if that'll be a dream of spring thing or if that'll be Possibly. totally different. Who knows, you know? But I'm very anxious about that because I don't want Brienne to be hurt. She is mm. she is my sweet daughter and I do not want her to be hurt. <laughs> so yes, course, I think that's course. that that's really the only thing that I'm anxious about. But I am heartened that um at least, you know, if we're using the show as a map in any way for the books, um and end states for characters, I'm I'm heartened that she survives on the show. Oh yeah, so she I have I have like a little bit ending. less anxiety. I know. I have I have less anxiety about her arc in the books now, so I'm I'm feeling pretty good. Okay, let me flip that on its head then. Give me something you don't think will happen, but you really, really do want it to. What's oh, one thing you could slip yeah. in the book if you could? Um oh, let's see. Now that's a hard one. You know, I really want Cersei to be a big, bad, evil bitch in the Winds of Winter. I know a lot of people are saying, you know, it's gonna be different in the books. This was different in the show because Lena Headey is amazing and mm-hmm, Cersei is certainly. kind of this amalgamation of all these other evil characters they didn't have time for in the show, like um, Euron, even though we got our own special version of Euron in the show. Special, yeah, good word, special. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I kind of really want Cersei to be really evil and and uh, destructive in the books and I, I think there's even foreshadowing for that um, a little hmm. bit even in the last ch- chapter in Kevin's chapter when she's noticing how oh you know even Cersei seems to be a little bit docile after her shaming and she's she's smiling and haven't seen her smile in a while like that just reads eerie to me like, it does yeah creepy yeah <laughs> what is she thinking yeah she's like we're gonna pounce yeah yeah so i i really want to see the evil reign the rise of cersei and i know a lot of people think that house lannister is is just going to kind of have its autumn in the winds of winter but I, I want there to be a little bit of a, of a struggle there. Not about a fight, surely. We're racing towards the final section. Before we get there, I'd love to know if you've got any uh, future projects coming up. Or, I mean, we'd be lucky just to keep having the same excellence you're bringing to Twitter and your website. Oh, but if you there so is much. anything you want to let us know about? Um, yeah, well, I'm going to be at Con of Thrones in a few days and Woo-hoo. have a lot of great panels lined up and talking about honor in Westeros and uh, Northern Justice and Guest Right. We're talking about uh, one panel I'm particularly looking forward to is Shakespearean Villains in A Song of Ice and Fire, where we're going to talk about villainy in Shakespeare and in A Song mm-hmm. of Ice and Fire. And that's going to be a lot of fun. And another panel I'm looking forward to is The Stolen Child in A Song of Ice and Fire. So we're going to be talking about the motif of 
children who are stolen away, children who are kind of like changelings, and um, also like ruined childhoods in A Song of the Ice and Fire, because I think it's just um, really resonant throughout the series and for its genre as a fantasy, fantasy True. genre as a whole. So True. I'm really excited about that panel. Um, yeah, I bet. And yeah, I'm going to get recordings out there on my YouTube channel after that so that everybody can oh, cool. enjoy them, not just people who go to Con of Thrones. Um, yeah, us Brits, we can enjoy them too. Uh, it, yeah, it's quite a long ways for you to come all the way to Nashville. Just a tiny, tiny bit, yeah. One day. I'm not jealous at all. One day. Not, One I'm day. I'm not green. Um, so that's in the immediate works. I'm in the process of updating my, my website so that it's kind of a resource for essays on Shakespeare and A Song of Ice and Fire because I've, I've gotten a lot of followers in the past few months and I, I think some people seem to think I'm like this authority on Shakespeare <laughs> which I never really wanted to be. I just kind of wanted to mess around and have fun and I want to use um, my my celebrity now. It's not really celebrity. It's just 5,000 followers. But I, I want to use um, my followership to promote other people's work and what they've... Excellent. Like, there have been people who have written about Tyrion as Richard III and Wars of the Roses and um, all kinds of things that, I you know, I don't even really want to write about because other people have done it better. And mm. um, so I'm going to fix up my website to make it more of a resource for those for those essays so people can find them easily. Eliano, of course, wrote an amazing essay on Daenerys as a Shakespearean oh, magic yeah. hero. I'm going to include that. But as far as anything beyond, I have not really thought about it. So we'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> we look forward to finding out. And we definitely look forward to uh, this, this change to the website. Make sure it keeps uh, feeling fun for you. That's the way to keep going. Keep oh, it of passionate. course. <laughs> Okay, we're, so we're going to head to the final section then, which we like to call In Front of the Faces. We've got a few final questions for you. And before we get to that, before we say goodbye there, the second second part of these fan questions, and they kind of overlap, but we'll, I'll do them differently. So our good friend Joe Magician, mm -hmm. he asks, what books couldn't you finish? Do you ever struggle to finish books <laughs> at all? You know, usually I... Uh am someone who makes myself finish a book even if I don't like it and that's probably not a really good habit because it'll often take me months to finish a 200 page book <laughs> even if I don't you know I could be reading something else but um we're the same boat again I'm the same way yeah I never finished the bible <laughs> I started reading Fair. it's a, it's a hard book to read from front to cup from you know yeah sure and um, this is going to be controversial, but the uh, other book I have never finished is Lord of the Rings, which I feel terrible about because it's just like this standard of literature uh, for our fandom. You know, it's influenced George so much. I have read The Hobbit. I read that in school. I loved it. But I don't know. Much you know like what? We're going ah! to double up again. Same way. Exactly. I'm looking. I've got it's over there somewhere. The big like all in one. And... It's my wife's like favorite uh, thing in the world. So oh. I was trying to read. I got to the end of the Fellowship of the Ring, and that took months. Oh, really? You too? Okay. Slogging through, and I just thought, well, maybe we, you know, when there's battles and stuff. No, I, no. Yeah, I, I got I to put it down um, and not pick it up again. Tom Bombadil and <laughs> kind of <sighs> said goodbye, but um, I mean, I love the, the movies. Hobbit, I love the movies, and the, what doesn't help is that I want to finish the books, but then every now and then there's some tweet that gets thousands of retweets on Twitter, which is like, 
the Lord of the Rings movies are actually better than the books. And then like yeah. people go wild and agree. And I'm like, well, what's, you know, what's the point? <laughs> I can <laughs> I know, see, like, basic- you know, we talk about adaptations and we're going to talk about good adaptations. That's the, it seems to be, oh, yeah. as far as I've found, the best one I've ever found for a book to screen. Oh, for sure. Can't really, yeah. But lots of respect for Lord of the Rings. Tons. Yeah. I put two towers on last night for no reason at all. I don't know why. I just wanted to see it. Mm-hmm. But you're right, The Hobbit. I actually had the the Hobbit graphic novel that I found oh, in my yeah. library once, and I was like 11, and that that was cool. Oh, that sounds great. Mm. Yeah. Any others, or is it? Those are the only two. I honestly, yeah. those are the only two I can think of. No, I'm much the same. I really struggle. Brave New World. I just read. I didn't, and that's that's like like thin. Mm-hmm. Not along, but um, oh, yeah, that wasn't that bad. Yeah, yeah. No, I I know what you mean though. It's not a it's not a huge character book. It's more of a dystopian. Wow, it's just old timey prose as well. But no, we we push through. Uh so similar, you you mentioned him earlier, Pat Man twenty three, of course, Pat. He asks and this is an important question. (laughs) Probably the most important question of the night. He asks, Will you eventually read The Wise Man's Fear of the sequel to uh, Name of the Wind, of course? (laughs) Important question. The whole, pretty much the whole podcast rests on this. <laughs> you know, maybe I've read Name of the Wind, and uh, I don't know. Like, I, I think that there are some people, and I'm one of them, who don't quite connect to Quoth. Quoth, mm-hmm. however you pronounce Quoth, it. Uh, Why you call him? Yeah, and um, I, I just didn't. You know, I just he was an annoying little shit, and I, <laughs> I, I understand that's the point but it just made me really it made it really difficult for me to enjoy the book but i really look forward to the screen adaptation um, mm, yeah they will come in mm. yeah yeah I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with that especially with the genius of lin-manuel miranda who uh yeah you know the brain yeah, behind that is it. Gonna be cool. hamilton i'm sure he's gonna do wonderful things with it and um who knows maybe it'll appeal to me in that form and then i'll just have to read the wise man's fear so yeah maybe it'll do a game of thrones on you and uh, push it back <laughs> Maybe it will. Maybe it will. I hope it does because I I love those books. I only mm. just read them this past year, and I finished Name of the Wind. I think I've said this probably before, and I'm boring everyone. But I finished it at like three o'clock in the afternoon on New Year's Eve, and I sprinted to town because I had to get the Wise Man's Fear oh before the shop shut for Christmas. And I did get there, thank oh, God. Wow. But um, it was <laughs> it's such a different book in the way that uses um like I, I really hate first person and everything like that and the way oh. just it's constructed it really turned me around and i i thought i'd kind of gone past the age of finding completely different ways to write books and being that impressed by them but apparently not that's really interesting that you say that you're not into first person i've never i, I don't even have a preference for either um first no person i really struggle person. with it. that that's interesting Hmm. It's only kind of this and Hunger Games. Actually, I never minded it in either, mm. although that's kind of different because it's like present tense. But still, but okay, we'll settle. I'll tell you what, I'll settle for you not reading <laughs> Wise Man's Fear if I can get you on Weird Sisters from Terry Pratchett. That's more than a win. <laughs> okay. Although I'll read it. I do. You might have seen me keep looking to my right over here because I've got my bookshelf oh. <laughs> with ev- every Terry Pratchett, and I cannot see Weird Sisters. And I'm being honest, I'm getting rather worried about oh, it where no. it is. Because it's my favourite one. I can't see it. It's bright green. I should be able to see it. I'm going to have to check really quickly after Maybe we uh, Maybe I stole recording. it uh, over the course of this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> if you did, that's through. fine. I, as long as someone's reading it. But I, <laughs> it's my prized possession. I'm going to go and see it. But before that, um, some last questions. I'll cut a few out here because we, we've kind of got to them through the, the, the podcast. 
anyway but mm. this is always a cool one to ask what's your favorite non-major house we don't want starks or lannisters but your smaller house what's the ones you're interested in oh gosh um yeah this is this is really a hard one i mean i'm always i always have more questions about house tarth like they don't even have um because you know she's my girl brand's my girl and mm-hmm. they don't even have she doesn't even have her own house words so i'm always oh, interested yeah. about that um <laughs> i i have to say there's that one house and I always forget their name, so maybe that shouldn't be my favorite house. But their their house words always make me laugh. Is it? It's the one in the Iron Islands. It's it's though all though though all do despise us. It's house, oh, house co- cod. I was gonna say it's yeah. house cod like that. Yeah, though all do despise us. I think though all think do despise us. That <laughs> is hilarious. Um, that wins for house words. Yeah, um, that's true. They are very. Cool. Yeah, I have to say I haven't done a whole lot of thought about favorite minor house so we'll have to shelve that one for now but those yeah, are my favorite back house to us next time. <laughs> good choice good choice okay um and this is kind of a, i'm sure someone's probably asked you this on twitter before but if you could see a shakespeare character in westeros and in game of thrones who would you who do you think would do well who <laughs> would survive long oh who would survive survival yeah who could play the game do you think Oh, well, Richard III is an easy answer because, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, he's also, he, he's already mirrored a little bit in Tyrion, but um, yeah. I, I think he's even he's even worse than Tyrion is. <laughs> I don't think that Tyrion is going to achieve those, that level of villainy. But let's see. Yeah, I just think of characters who I already have, who already have kind yeah, of likenesses. Yeah, sure you've already Like them. Iago, who is a, a kind of a little finger analog. He would do pretty well. Mm. Let's see here. I'm just like going through. I go through like all the main <laughs> tragedies and yeah. thinking about them. Um, I think I think that yeah, I I think that a good lot of them would do pretty well in Westeros. Like a lot of the villains in the tragedies, Edmund and King Lear and Iago and um, Othello and Macbeth. I mean, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth are kind of like they're protagonists as well as villains they're more like villainous protagonists i'm not sure that they Hmm. would do so well i think mcduff would do amazing in westeros Uh, let's go with mcduff because he's kind of the guy who saves the day and um what i really like about mcduff is unlike Macbeth, he's he's like he's aware that you need to be in touch with your heart you need to have a balance of like your heart and your mind in order to have have success and survive in this world and um i think that he would really do well in westeros because of that because a lot of people have a, have a huge struggle finding that balance hmm. so that's McDuff a great answer is. we love it great okay we'll write that in chisel it in mcduff is the answer you would do best in westeros lauren that was that's my final question i need to thank you i've had an absolutely brilliant time just sitting and listening to you talk about shakespeare and about song of ice and fire there's no question of why you have so many fans and why so many people do paint you as this authority i could easily just sit and listen to your uh intellect and passion for all this it's just flying through my headphones and off the screen here it's oh, an absolute so delight much. and pleasure we <laughs> hope to have you back again soon I'm really grateful for you giving up your morning to uh, talk to me <laughs> thank you so much it's been great being here thank you for inviting me on and i hope not i didn't ramble too much um no not enough <laughs> okay, a lot more. Good. good 
yeah well hopefully i'm sure we can get you back at some point i would love to something else that would be great can you please remind everyone uh, i'm sure they know but remind everyone where to find you before we head off yes you can find me at shakes of thrones on twitter and you can also find me uh you can find my blog at shakespeareofthrones.com and I'm also Shakespeare of Thrones on YouTube. Super fantastic. Again, thank you. Uh, a really great time. Great to talk to. Uh, great takes. I don't think I've ever had so many new takes on A Song of Ice and Fire in such a short span of time. Oh, I, thought, I thought I'd found them all, but apparently not. You've really uh, given me stuff to think about. I might have to get some essays out myself now. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for visiting the aisle, and uh, we'll see you again soon. Okay, great. Thanks. See ya. Oh, so there we have it. Lauren, Shakes of Thrones, fantastic episode. I'm sure all of you enjoyed that as much as I did. I honestly could have just kept going and listening to Lauren talk. It's very, very clear how brilliant she is at all this stuff. And we definitely look forward to anything she's putting up for us in the future, on the website, on stage, hopefully, whatever we get. So there we go. That's guest number five in the books. We've had Davos Fingers, Jinx of the Air, Vanessa Cole, the girls of Girls Gone Canon, and now Lauren Shakes of Thrones joins the hallowed halls of Isle of Faces guests, and we really do hope that we can get her back soon. Been a long time since we, well, it's been a long time since I've recorded one of these. Not too long since we put one out. Hopefully, won't be too long until the next one either. In the meantime, you have Valoridis every week, just about. You have uh, patron-only episodes coming, more Lady Buckley coming back, and yes, like we say, more guest episodes. Thank you again for listening, all your continued support. We've so much appreciated. I hope you also, I'm sure you're already checking out all of Lauren's stuff, but give her some love also if you haven't on Twitter, on website, whatever. Just appreciate we've got people like this in the fandom because we are lucky souls indeed. Thank you, everybody. This is Sir Buckley saying goodbye. If you do want to check out our Patreon, like I mentioned at the end, at the beginning of the episode, very much appreciated. If not, no worries, fella. You're still right by me. Have fun, everybody. See you soon. <laughs>